by that subscription. So you know, it's, it's more difficult and the expectation is higher uh, because a you know, customer can leave. But, but for companies, the subscription base is, is, is better than a one-off payment that, that, that the likes of Microsoft or other you know, historic products would, would have offered. So you know, I, can, you know, I can definitely see that. It's almost like the people are now uh, funding the companies indirectly, where they always have, because you always have a vote with your dollar. But now they're saying, instead of trying to get you in as one-time customer, let's just take a couple of dollars from you every single day uh, and really become, I mean, it's almost like the customers are the new investors and the products are still what they were. It's the products, it's the ideas, it's the magic sauce, it's, it's what's actually happening. Well, it's very timely that we're here today, gentlemen, and I'm excited to sit across from you here, even though we're across the world from each other. And for those of you listening and joining, uh, you're getting the beginning of a conversation that's going to last here for the next 45 minutes or so about scaling product. We're talking about how product isn't necessarily just the coffee mug that you buy or the pen. It has now become the service that you subscribe to, the Netflix that keeps you off the streets the uh, the 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 wearables like that thing on the back that I just got. So I'm Pavlovian's dog, and I get buzzed every time that my my posture is not proper. But it's one thing to understand where products have moved to. It's another thing to understand in this landscape how you can actually scale product, and that's a whole different story. So that's what we're going to be diving in today. Now the show is called the Scale Up Heroes, and that's because we deal with companies that are past the startup stage but into the scale up. And that means dealing with the real problems of growth. If you hear your boss or manager like in a frustrating manner, but also excited, said, here we grow again. These are the types of people that you're listening to. Now, I travel around the world and I speak about simplicity when it comes to business. And I'm excited to listen in to see how these two gentlemen can make something as complex as this new era of productivity and products hit uh, to how you can actually scale that, what it looks like from the bottom line, what it looks like as a manager, what it looks like for you as an employee so that we can all scale up together. Max, I'll let you take away from here, buddy. And then I'm sure I'll chirp in here and there, but I'm looking forward to the conversation. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Ron. So um, my name is Max. I'm the head of products here at Manise and, and we're currently in our, in our very nice new offices here. And I'm really lucky to be joined by uh, Mahalid Salam, another head of products over at Bizja. Um, and we are, we go back, you know, we've had discussions before and, you know, what's important, you know, for me at the moment, when we're scaling, we're trying to double, double our team sizes, double the number of teams we're having, is finding the right leaders to put in place. And, you know, what, what does good leadership mean in products? Um, and I'm very lucky to sort of start sharing this sort of conversation with you, really sort of exploring, yeah, exploring your thoughts and exploring all my thoughts. Are. And so what I'd like to do is, is start off with one of my favorite questions, that I interview when we're interviewing product leads to work here is, is what does leadership mean to you um, in, in a product sense? Yeah, that's a, <laughs> as we were discussing earlier, it's a very big topic to yeah. discuss leadership. For me, leadership uh, from a product perspective is actually, uh, and it can be it can be played two ways as well for, for a person. One is, uh, you know, a product leadership uh, at a pre-market fit which okay. is when you are trying to, you know, get traction for your product mm -hmm. and then leadership, once you do get a market fit and you have got something concrete and now you have to scale up yeah, or yeah. the discussion we had earlier on about scaling up products. So the, the, the skills you require from uh, leadership in both are slightly different. Mm -hmm. The second one that the latter about, you know, scaling up is 
it requires a leadership of scaling up, but then it's slightly more, you know, administrative as well mm-hmm. of organizing things and organizing, uh, you know, teams. Uh, whereas the leadership at the pre-market will, I, I feel that is more empowering mm-hmm. uh, and is the one that actually does really get you the right DNA, uh, if there is ever a right mm-hmm. DNA for a product person. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, for me, a, a right uh, a leadership is about build, you know, someone being able to deal with um, ambiguity, mm-hmm. uh, use customer feedback, and manage manage stakeholders. And even if you're a founder trying to build up a product, yeah. uh, your stakeholders are probably your investors or your <laughs> family at home. Uh, that's still a skill to have. But I think uh, for me, like leadership is about you know building, creating value where you can take all the parties along, but then deliver value to the end customer who are at the end going to pay you for that product. I think I think that's fascinating. I think one of the problems that that, that I certainly have had with leadership is you know, there's so many different definitions and frameworks that you know, it's really hard to articulate leadership apart from sort of in a really narrow sense what you're after at one point in time and your sort of your discussion yeah. about sort of you know, distinctly separating uh, product market fit or exploring you know, problem solving or problem finding from you know from the issue where I'm currently facing which is sort of how do we scale we found it how do we sort of scale it um, and grow that I think you know, that is a really interesting framework to explore and you know, uh, sort of paraphrasing what you just said I think you really what really attracts you is this really open space where you don't even know what the problem is, let alone the solution. So you, you talked a little bit about stakeholder management. So what, what are the sort of the key elements or key drivers you see in that sort of space leadership? Um, the, for, are, you, are you asking about pre-market fit? Or? Yeah, about pre, yeah, about pre-market fit. So this is, this is an interesting place. I've actually uh, put myself in for the last couple of years. Actually, I've been doing projects of my own where I'm actually trying to establish something. But I've actually just joined a new brand new company where there is, where there is just a technology, and you have to mar- find the market fit. Uh, for me, the technology is blockchain, and the technology is blockchain exactly. And this is a big problem, and I've actually only scratched the surface of the of the problem of how do you do, uh, how do you get you know a a, a product out of blockchain uh, when it's a infrastructure, it's a network, mm-hmm. it's a protocol. Uh, I think the biggest challenge in that is uh, I'm more at a b2b level it's actually defining your value proposition mm-hmm. it's about you know just describing what the value uh, what value your solution is trying to build mm-hmm. uh, at this stage but i would just talk i mean outside of vision for me and i've experienced this as well mm-hmm. is uh, a pre-market fit leadership is really about um for me it's really about uh, knowing yourself well okay. and the reason is you as a founder or you as a person who could be passionate about doing something mm. uh, want to achieve one thing, whereas you want to start aligning with your customers. And the most difficult task is at that pre-market fit is listening to your customers, which of mm. course becomes truer even post-market fit, but pre-market fit, the type of uh, passion you have and you know the, the level of, you don't have as many people to talk around about the same thing or mm. the same passion. The only thing you, or people, people don't, the only, People you could talk to is your customers, mm. and your only test, and your your the, the real test of your leadership is: is your customer going to part money or going to do something about the value you're trying to propose? And to be able to do that is a difficult challenge. And the leadership of at that level is really understanding yourself. And when I say that, I mean 
being able to abstract your passion away from what the actual what the customer mm-hmm. really wants and understanding their pain points that is i would say it even though it's important important for product managers or product people post fit yeah pre market fit i would say that is the the most important thing and that's what i see the even the investor community is getting very very good at like really seeing how much you understand your customers mm-hmm. but i would say that is it that is a difficult thing but that's the, the most important leadership skill you need uh, no i think that's i think that's super interesting and i think and i think i completely agree with you in terms of leadership is especially in that early stage your you the solution space is so wide and you you have your own instincts and your own gut intuition and sort of trying to trying to trying to use that to take people with you, your enthusiasm and knowledge, but not letting it overbear, you know, actually the, the feedback you're getting from the customers and getting them to a point where they'll pay, you know, lots of people can sell something for free. You know, very few people can sell something for nothing. Um, and it's finding, you know, it's- Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and when you see like the, the name describe itself, right? Which is mar- market fit, which is about trying to understand the market and and a lot of the you know the product leaders or I would, I would say the founders are really usually the product leaders in that case they find the reason a lot of the time they find the reason why they started doing something is not exactly what the market wants mm-hmm. there's a small i would say a subset of this which actually does happen where the the founder or the product person has actually experienced the problem themselves and that's a very narrow use case and they've then they've understand, understood it so well and it's not something like uh you know being able to hold the brush every morning uh it's more about uh you know something more you know understanding from all different angles for example if we are using just think jira on your <laughs> laptop <laughs> over there if we have experience if i as a product person has experienced jira for 3 to 5 years at many many different you know angles there is that there's a small use case or scenario where i can actually really come up with the right mm. solution it it really happens but it happens well i think it happens more in the uh, in the silicon valley than in, in yeah i think you know, just okay just speaking from experience here you know, Norris, our ceo you know, the whole company was built around him being so angry about how difficult it was as an estonian you know a well off estonian who built businesses to come over the uk and set up a bank account in 2005 he was just so infuriated that he built, an, he built the first ever mobile bank app in the UK, so specifically around cell I think, um, Ryan, I think Ryan had Yeah, I've got a question. So I, I love the conversation. I love this concept of the pre-market fit. And I, and I like where we're going with this. One of the things you're talking about is defining the value proposition. And then, Max, what you just said is, you know, your whole company was based on the opposite of the problem. So when I speak with leaders, one of the most exciting exercises for me and most stressful for them is to get them to explain the actual problem that they're solving without telling me what they do. And so I'm curious, just for discussion, what do you think? If you had to choose what is more important, your ability to sell the value proposition or your ability to sell the problem without sharing what you do? Because from a communication standpoint, I argue that nobody cares what you do. They don't care about your product. They care about the problem that's being solved. And in a marketplace that's so flooded with so many different products, like that back thing, there's like 10 of them that are all competing for it. But for me, I resonate with somebody who's able to describe the problem because then I can independently decide if I have that problem and then it doesn't really matter what the solution is if I identify it's a problem. So I'm just curious, what's more valuable, the value prop if, or just the straight problem? If, you know, if you had to have a thought experiment, 
It's like, because literally, Max, you're talking about how this guy was so furious and frustrated. Like, that's the problem. That's like, I was even sold by just you saying that versus if you would have just told me how amazing and, and easy and, and, and value your product has. So I, I like that as a discussion. I'm just curious to, to see what you guys think. Uh, and I think you, for example, I think one of you, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts because I think the blockchain was a little bit related. It was a solution with no problem. And I think a lot of you obviously look at where lasers are now. They're ridiculous. Yeah. We probably have 10 on each of us. Um, and, I, and I'd love to, you know, I'd love to exactly see that because I've got, I've definitely got some views on this, yeah. Ryan, but, but I'd, I'd love to. That's a very good question. And I think that's, uh, here's the thing, right? Uh, and this is the value. I would say if I had to pick to answer your question, Ryan, I would say problem solved is what you want to go for uh, because value proposition assumes that you have solved the problem for one customer. Now you're trying to, uh, you know, uh, sell that to many other customers and that's where you you, you actually make them aware. I think the, the, here's the difficulty, right? Uh, in, I would, I'm going more particular into the blockchain world. The difficulty is um, that the customer doesn't know he has a problem uh, and maybe there is no problem to solve and, and that that's an exploratory exercise. So, and it's exactly to that reason where I can come up with one version of a solved problem, uh, but given that blockchain is just a protocol for multiple parties to agree on something, mm-hmm. and this is in simple words, and that's what you know, even cryptocurrencies do, um, if, that is, if, the, if that is the thing that it does, rather than putting my filter onto it and say, this is the type of problem I want to solve, mm. what we are trying to do at InBizGen or you know, you know, what my team is trying to do is really try to say, this is, this is the value proposition of, um, of what the technology can do. And then it's almost like, you know, and that becomes your landing page. In, in a pure product world. And then you start seeing, you know, different faces and in different industries and see where does this value proposition make more sense? Uh, and then you- it, it, must be, it, must, it must be quite tough to go up to, yeah, when you're doing business development and go, uh, we think you've got a problem. The problem could be anywhere. Here's a solution. Yeah, that must be quite difficult. It is, it is, I would say it's one of the most difficult exercises. We've had to like go through 50 industries to go through and. Uh, you know, narrow it down to five and that took almost a month as well. So it is a very difficult time consuming exercise. Mm-hmm. Of course, you need funds for that and <laughs> to be able to run that exercise. But the good thing is we have actually, I mean, and, and the interesting thing is we have actually narrowed it down to five and, you know, our, our focus is uh, the defense and the government sector. And they seem to have uh, issues around collaboration. And this is where we think we add most value. And we've very nicely, you know, very neatly being, we have been able to define a value prop and it's starting to resonate uh, enough with them. And I think we could be one of the first movers there uh, in this industry to to do something Mm -hmm. different out of the box. I'm pretty sure the governments and the defense sector is looking Mm -hmm. on their own, but when there is this dilemma as well, once you're starting to, you know, look into your own problems, you actually solve those problems very differently. Uh, Whereas we are doing it, we're doing it from a product lens. Uh, so we want it to be repeatable product. Uh, we don't want this to be specifically industry yeah. uh, focused, but we have chosen one industry on, uh, over a lot. And that was just because our value prop is something that we, if we had spoken to them once about, they would have actually called us five times over. Even though we haven't sold something and uh, being a B2B world, I think that's where it's kind of a you know, spin of how we have used 
value prop to actually gauge interest or as a landing page to gauge interest. I, th- I think that's really interesting. And, and clearly being able to very clearly articulate a problem um, without a solution, really say this is a problem and then go and find who that problem is the most valuable for. You know, that's you. Know, and I think this sort of speaks back to your point, Ryan, is, is really truly understanding the problem um, and being able to articulate it very clearly, very concisely in a sort of an industry agnostic or technology-astic way, and then work out, okay, this is the problem. You know, who, who is this the problem the most for? Who's, who's got the, who, who out there, business, customers, you know, who, who is this most painful for? Um, and is therefore willing to pay, pay somebody in order to make this problem go away. Um, which I think is very, very similar to us. I think you know, we're doing it in a slightly different way. We're sort of understanding you know, the problems around finance. You know, everybody knows what they are. Yeah, you know, and it's a question of trying to trying to solve them in a slightly different way, or a slightly easier, or a slightly customer centric way. I think speaking to your point, Ryan, one thing you know, whenever we try and do something new, the first thing we try and do is try and make it very clear or agree what the problem is. We found that if we skip that step as a leader, if I skip that step and we start going to solutions, we either don't solve the problem at all, or we solve it for the wrong people, or it's a suboptimal solution. So as a leader. Finding, finding the right problem, articulating that problem, so you, which is solution agnostic, and then going, okay, where is the value in this problem? And saying, well, this is, this is who we can solve. We've, we personally used sort of customer personas a lot for that, because, for example, savers, there's a lot of different savers. There's somebody who's you know, storing money away, and it's only a little bit of money, but it's to keep, it's for emergencies, versus somebody who's got a lot of money and is just trying to divide it up and keep it safe. Versus somebody who's just after the highest rates and wants to go wherever the rates is. So by really understanding which one of those we want to solve for, that can really help us. Okay, we're going to solve this problem for this customer, which is exactly what you've done. We're going to solve this problem for this customer because it's the most valuable. It's the most valuable for them. It's the most valuable for us. Um, and as a leader, you know, it's us that are sort of helping. Would you agree? Hundred percent. I completely agree. I think. The, as a leader, uh, you know, in, the, in this specific scenario, what you have to do is really find out what the problem is you're trying to solve. And that's the problem is solved when you actually achieve the market fit and the customers actually tell you. So, so knowing that, so we're not, uh, you know, my current company, we're not there to say, we're not there yet in our journey to say we have solved a problem. Uh, but we, are, we have enough evidence to say that there is a problem to be solved uh, based on, you know, the, the hypothetical value proposition that we've actually framed based on our understanding and a few proof of concepts we've done. But I completely agree. I think that, you know, you, you framed it pretty well. It's all about actually narrowing it down to one problem solved, but solving it better than anyone else. And, you know, and I, I, I think the user persona is, is, is a really good example of how you can actually, you know, you know, pinpoint who you are specifically solving for. And an interesting point on that is actually, Sometimes you solving a problem for, and I've you know observed it, uh, not directly experienced it. Sometimes solving a problem for one persona can actually create a new problem for you know mm. uh, other personas as well. But but I think I think that 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 is completely the right way of if, if there was ever a framework to put this in in construction, that would be the, the best way to put it. Yeah. And what I'd love to touch on is motivation because you know for me. We know, we know what works. We're a question of doing more of it, doing yeah. it in more places and doing it faster. 
So, so for me, that's you know, a relatively easy motivation set. Look, you know, we're hugely successful. We want to do this hugely successful thing faster, better, and in more places. Whereas for you, you've not really had that. So we, I'm really interested in sort of how do you guide a team through through sort of exploration and then failure, and exploration and then failure, and then exploration. Just really, that must be really that must be quite tough. Yes, I haven't experienced it here in, 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 in the current blockchain problem, but I think that is that is one of the biggest reasons why you have demotivated teams because you are because a lot of the times teams actually want you to take when you start a company or you have a product, you're taking a stance against something like I want to solve this problem or I want to do something about it. Uh, and once you go too far in that journey, uh, and then realize, you know, or you've put investment or you've, you know, put enough um, effort into it with the team. It's very difficult to untangle it. I think a good product leader is able to untangle it very easily because you want to remain true to the customer problem uh, you're trying to solve rather than your effort or investment or anything else. Uh, but I think it's a people problem, uh, the one you've uh, just described. And it's a people problem where you have you actually, you know, made your assumptions or make made your uh, uh, you know the the thing you were aiming for very clear to everyone and it's mm -hmm. a communication thing if all the team members are aware that this is an exploratory we are, mm -hmm. we are explorers trying to find, navigate the right way to find the problem I think it's easier but I've actually I haven't had that in my current company but I've had that in my you know previous roles where uh, you know it wasn't communicated that way and you know you do see people demotivated there's, there's not much you can do about it if people you know really don't believe in the newer way of solving that problem uh, and it can it can go at a developer level where you know undoing a code or you know just you know throwing a code away can yeah. be very difficult uh, and that becomes a completely different ball game but i think uh sign of good lead product leadership is actually remaining true to the problem than you know your personal emotional investment as well uh, <laughs> i'd love to dive into two things which is sure one one is the vision um and the second one is sort of um you're being able to sort of kill ideas i think on the, the vision i sort of completely agree i think once you found that problem articulating well we use the sort of the postcard we use product visions quite strongly here and i think it was the postcard of the future. Like if you're going to write yourself a postcard from six months, 12 months of the future, what would be on that postcard in terms of you know, what, what is the product of the team? What, what's the solution you know, or the, uh, the Amazon approach? You know, what would be the news article that has come out and you know, how, how has the world changed? Mm -hmm. And I think getting that right is very, very powerful. Um, and also the second part, you know, balancing you know, making it explicit, you know, what, you know, that you're in the, you know, that you're in an exploration phase. So for us, we do sort of two things. We build a test or test to build. If we build a test, we know what we're doing. Mm -hmm. We're building it and then it gets tested in standard software development. But then if we're doing the other way, um, you know, we know what we're doing. We've done it before and it's relatively straightforward. Um, the other way, if we're testing to build, it's, okay, how do we launch this in a very low risk, low cost way? What's the cheapest way we can launch this? To test it, to see if there's, to see if the technology works, or to see if the customer interest is there, and then and only then we sort of go back and build a problem. Mm -hmm. And until then, we'd had a huge amount of problem with that, with, with engineers going, "I spent and you know a year and a half on this, mm -hmm. and you're just tearing it up now." Um, 
and without that being made explicit. So I loved how you sort of sort of bring that out. Sort of yeah. make it really explicit. Are you in the are you in the exploratory phase or in the delivery? Phase? So it's it's probably easier for me in my current company. We're a staff of 10, 15 people. So it, uh, you know it's very easier to make it explicit. But just wanted to ask you a question on that. So have you used? Um, I don't remember the. It's not a framework. It's something that's used in goal setting. Horizon three and Horizon one goals. Uh, um, no, no. So, so, so here's an interesting. I've actually used it once, and it was really useful. So, so what happens? So, this is I'm talking about a scaled up environment, and you've got a you know you know product build is also scaled up as well, and now you have this problem, and the way this product the piece presents itself is very different, and the, the and this beast is always in the dark. So you ha you never have the time of actually, or you never have the luxury of knowing that we are in an exploratory stage or a mm. you know a a uh, you know, delivering. delivering or today's problem stage. <laughs> uh, so, so the one one thing that I've used that really worked in this was actually knowing your what you want to do today as your horizon one things, and you can organize your backlog around that as well if you wanted to. But I've done it at a goal or objective level, so you know the team knows that we are working on horizon one, which is today's goals, and then you start working on horizon three goals and not horizon two and I'll come back to it in a minute. And you describe your horizon three goals very separately. And this is your discovery and uh, exploratory goals. And then what you try to do is after you've defined them and this should be with the team, then you start bridging that gap with horizon two as you go along. Okay. And, and, and in that way you can, number one, it, it's a really good framework to actually, uh, you know, define what you want to do today mm -hmm. against, and, and they have separate backlogs, what you want to do day after tomorrow Mm. And then you're saying what we need to do tomorrow. And then you start building what you need to do tomorrow first to get to day three. <clears throat> and that's helped really well. So I think this is what, what I've used in the past uh, to manage team expectation. And when I say team expectation, I'm, I mean, not just product people, but this is with, you know, the whole, you know, tech teams, uh, including developers. But I do agree with you, what you just pointed out. Like, it's a very difficult problem to solve. Mm. And... Uh, um, one thing there's, there's always it's a human. There's, there's always emergencies. There's always right. We've got to fit this in, and it, you, it's. I think as you quite rightly said, lifting your horizons uh, and sort of looking into the future. I love what I love how you described it. It's just, you know, you're at A, you're fixing A, you know, D or E is off in the future. You know, yeah. Really, be really clear about what that is, and then yeah, and then and only then work out what sort of B and C are. Um, no, I, I, I yeah, one thing, one thing I, want, I do want to mention, Max, here, this is really interesting, getting interesting for me now. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing, right? So one of the, your first question was about the product leadership. Mm -hmm. I think in a scaled environment and even in a, you know, pre-market fit as well, mm -hmm. one of the product leadership qualities is about protection. Uh, and this is protecting or protect, protecting <laughs> from distractions. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, sometimes you have people, product leaders who, uh, you know, uh, and this is my pure observation, I would say, uh, where you do actually uh, get into this thing where every single customer feedback creates a distraction or every every single feedback from stakeholders specifically and comes from investors and right at the top results in a distraction. Like yeah. we have to do this. Why? Because X said this to me. And I think one of the good one of the qualities of a product leader at that time is actually protecting the team from this type of distraction and then aligning these and, and they may still need to be done but then planning it well or saying no and uh, courage like uh, extreme <laughs> programming mentions courage is 
the most important thing. And I would say extreme programming, which even though it sounds like for programming and, yeah. and, and agile thing, I would say extreme programming is fundamental to a good product leadership in a scaled structure. And the courage that it talks about is important. Like, you know, saying no externally uh, <laughs> and saying not possible or not now, yeah. whatever way is. Uh, so is, yeah, yeah, never say no, say not yet. Yeah, not yet. It's yes. definitely, there's, there, that is one of the ways. So you know, I think there's a huge amount of that. I think uh, moral courage, you know, I come from a military background and you know, it's one of the principles of, of British military and I think you know, being able to, to say no, to say no, you know, sometimes in a difficult way, but if you can, say in a clear, constructed, evidence-based way. What I found is you know, in products and with product leaders, you know, everybody wants you to do something. Yeah. Risk, compliance, investors, the CEO. So the way we really try to turn that on its head is say, the final decision lies with the product. You know the customers the best, you know the product the best. There's lots of people that want to do your stuff. A lot of the times it's antagonistic, but you're, you know, we have hired the right person in you, You've got the right knowledge, the right skills, get the right capability. Mm. You make the final decision. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, if you find the right people, if they've got the right skill set, and you know, you know, they will make you know, make the, the right decision, and that allows them to sort of self-protect. But I think, from my perspective, one of the things they do have to do is help protect the team. Which is one of the things I try to do setting up the system is set up the system in ways the teams are innocent until proven guilty. Where I know. Not a place I've worked, and not a lot of places you worked. Yeah. You know, you, you know, the teams are guilty until proven innocent. To get anything done, you go around the begging bowl saying, please, sir, can I do this? Yeah. Please, mom, can I do this? Um, and that's that's a recipe for all products because it's you know, products by you know by voting rather than by you know, research and the person who knows the most about the customer. And I think what I can do as a leader is create a system and the culture that A, treats the teams as innocent, mm. B, allows the team to stand up to the CEO, stand up to me, yeah. stand up to risk and compliance, say, I take your advice. Here is the reason why I'm not following that specific advice. You know, if I'm wrong, here's how I know I'm going to be no wrong very quickly, and here's what I'm going to do in case it has, it's going to go wrong. But I think nice. you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a lot of effort. And yeah. managing all these stakeholders, you want to tell the product teams, <coughs> stop. Go do this, do that. Be it marketing, be it risk, be it compliance, be it CEO. You know, yeah. It, yeah, that's a really it, it, it's, it's a moral courage. Yeah, exactly. It's which is you know I've had situations where I had a product team where you know I generally didn't know what the answer was. Like someone asked me something, uh, and and it, it would have been difficult for me to say no, just because of you know the position maybe. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, being curious to get your right product person and trusting their instinct and saying, what do you think about this? And they said, no, let's have a discussion. Let's come come together. And, you know, and, and that's for me. And then that my role becomes is back what the, you know, where the instincts are. And, and, and a lot of the time, there could be a lot of right and wrong. Of course, if my gut feel goes the other way, I'm, I'm going to have a different discussion. But if I trust my product people, like you said, they need to, you need to empower them with something. And if their empowerment is about decision-making about the product, then they need to lead on that. And that's the whole point there. And then the role of the product, uh, you know, leadership in this is, I describe it something like, 
you know, it's a scheme train where you just, the product leader is the one who's actually putting the code just mm -hmm. to make sure you get from destination A and B. Mm -hmm. He doesn't really care about a lot of the things. He's delegated how many carriages are there. He's delegated a lot of the tasks. You more, mm -hmm. you know, someone's monitoring speed or someone's actually deciding mm -hmm. a destination. My role is actually to just keep it, keep it going, keep the fuel going. Of course, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you need to know a lot more uh, than that in real world, but that is, if I had to describe that, that would mm -hmm. be it. And sometimes, uh, and this is a tricky scenario, and this is this happens usually right at you know deviation of about 10-15% of pre and post market fit, where mm -hmm. that you have a product leader, but you still have the CEO is running that steam engine, yeah. uh, and that's a very difficult problem to solve. Uh, and there, I don't know if there is any way of any other way of solving unless the CEO but, you know, or the but, but, but that doesn't go away. You yeah, know, the CEO, especially here, built the company from scratch around a problem that he really cared about. So. And he's got an amazing amount of financial knowledge. So for me, for me, for me to even ask him to get out of product, yeah. A would be a non-starter, B would just be, be stupid for me to do with somebody with that experience. Or, or with the passion as well, that's very yeah, true. Exactly. Uh, it only works where you have like CEOs who uh, have, were not part of the founding team. Uh, in that framework, it works pretty well, where you have the product person actually really, you know, leading the vision to its very core. Uh, and it's in that, in, in that case, your product actually does become a company if it is a product company. Yeah. Um, um, so. But you know, and I'm sure you know, speaking from your experience and from my experience, you know, especially if you're approaching it in ways that we do, where the teams have got a lot of empowerment and you know a lot of people and a lot of businesses sort of miss out the power from empowerment. You're sort yeah. of you're empowered until you disagree with them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, it's, you know, and that's definitely not what we do here, and definitely what we're trying to avoid. But that's quite a Lot of responsibility to come to one person. So the interesting to see for you is you know, how do you find uh, the right person, and then do you put any safety around that? Yeah, because you know, if somebody has a lot of power, can say no to anybody, including this, we've got an fancy emergency. Yeah, what, what, how do you protect? You know, in the very, very you know extreme cases, how do you protect the customer in the business if if you devolve that much power down to the team? Yeah. So, uh, you know, this is a very good, <laughs> excellent um, question, actually. So here's the thing, right? So it has to come from um, the CEO in this case. Unless the CEO agrees, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, so I've had a situation where, and I can be very specific here, where the CEO wanted one thing. Um, I wanted something different. The pro person wanted uh, the third thing. Uh, the way we had to solve that, or I had to, to solve this problem somehow, was actually... Um, going up to the CEO and speaking to him and saying, this is, uh, this is where it's actually going to start affecting the product and we need to take the customer into account in this case or, you know, or, or really the mm. person as well. Sometimes the product person that you've hired is actually also your customer. Uh, and he's my customer in, 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 okay. in some cases. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to, from a people perspective, I just want to make sure that this person actually has the autonomy to make the decision mm -hmm. and be able to fail. Of course, if the risk is too high, then, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it becomes slightly different case. But I've had scenarios where, you know, you have to have that conversation with the CEO to say, um, you know, this is, th these are the right things that are easier for me to deal with. And then I think the most important thing in that conversation my CEO really liked was the empathy with his point of view mm -hmm. uh, and the empathy that I understood where he was coming yeah. from. But then me, me saying that, you know, going forward that this is the right way for us to approach. And I'm actually, you know, on your side and I would have done exactly the same thing. 
and I would have definitely done the same thing. But it's actually being able to communicate, and he loved it so much that, uh, and it was accidental then, uh, and it was so much that the CEO actually did actually kept recalling that event. I don't want to do that thing that I did once. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's actually uh, like you said, it's the moral courage and you know doing that. But then your other part of your customer is, if you have autonomy so deep within, then how do you? Uh, was your question on how do you? Yeah, it's, it's sort of is the guardrails. I think the, yeah. the point we just talked about. I think is yeah, if we just stay on that just for a second. Sure. I think I think CEOs and other positions in leadership, if they can understand the decision, they will support it even if they don't agree. With but I think they've got to understand it. If they don't understand where this decision comes from, where that has come from, that's when you start having a problem. And I think for me, you know, one of the things that I'm clear with the, the product is you. It's 100 down to you. If you want an easy way of this, you may think we understand it. I will back you no matter what. And if the data is on the fence, I will always support you. But you know, if you want an easy way and you want to bring people over, you get your thinking there row so at least everybody can understand the decision you made, even if they don't agree. Yeah. I think you know, that's a really important point. 100%. Yeah. The second point, which I think was more about if you're going to give this much sort of trust and responsibility back, mm-hmm. how do you, you know, that's a lot of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Especially if they can say no to pretty much anybody. Are there any guardrails you put up, or how do you make sure and prevent? You know, what, you know we describe them here as golden leaders. You know, my precious, my product. So yeah. they sort of really hold it close. Yeah, they push everybody else away. You know, luckily we've not had it yet because we sort of externalized mm-hmm. it. You know, how do you prevent these golden leaders you know, empire building their team or or, or seeing it as their product, their solution? How do you sort of prevent that from happening? Because yeah. you've sort of given the team a lot of time. Yeah, so, so this is actually a, a leadership test. Uh, and, and the leadership test is how well you're able to influence your leadership or lead product team mm-hmm. to be able to follow you. And this is not following me in what I say, is it's an action. So like what I said, if I... If I actually give an environment where I'm actually making people feel uh, they're my customer, for mm-hmm. example, in this case, the product person was my customer. I want the test of my, you know, of my leadership is actually whether he mimics that as well, or mm-hmm. he's able to do that uh, in that in, in in that context. Which actually is, does the product lead or the the product person in this case is actually able to take everyone through the journey that he's actually going mm-hmm. through. Uh, and I think that's the real test. And then really thinking that even in this case, the CEO as well is the is one of the customers that he has to sell to. He doesn't need to sell the product, but he needs to sell the idea that he mm. wants to go through. So, um, and it's about, you know, it requires different tactics every time, but it's, it's, it's actually making product people realize, like what you said, not being isolated in that mm. this is, uh, and it's actually, you know, um, a problem with scaled frameworks or a lot of scaled way of doing yeah. things where, you know, actually, Product autonomy is so well, you know, it's so well rooted within the team that people, the teams can actually think they're a startup, yeah. which is a good way of describing it, but it doesn't work in reality. So you need to almost make sure that, you know, they work in the context mm-hmm. of a bigger picture and that bigger picture exists and taking them through the journey and thinking that different people have different, you know, expectations or, you know, they could be customers for something else and, and, uh, and the product person himself is a product, that is, you know, is, is, mm. is himself a product. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, uh, I, I think that it's, it's, a, it's a thing about matureness as well. It's a yeah. thing about yeah. selecting the right product. Yeah, hiring, hi, yeah, hiring sure. I, I would say it's very key. I've had situations where you, you've described an example where 
you know, we did have some bad, um, you know, thing. And it wasn't, uh, they were my colleagues, some of them. Uh, but it went into a place where, you know, people did guard what they did. Yeah, exactly. And I think when it comes back to role model, you know, one of the biggest tools any leader has in the box is, you know, walk, walk, you know, do, yeah. do and you know, live, live as the leader you want to live. And, you know, especially with culture is, you know, the behavior you're going to get is the behavior you're willing to tolerate. Yeah. So, um, so we do it a couple of ways, which is say, look, product leads, you're responsible for finding the best solution, not your solution. So that's sort of, you know, trying to avoid nice. that. That's really um, So being really clear on that. Mm-hmm. And secondly, I sort of see my job as hunting dream drivers. Now, if you, if you're, if you're driving a car and you, you're qualified, you're in the car, you've planned, you know, and you crash, fine. These things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even, you know, the, you know, mistakes happen. However, if you drink driving, it doesn't matter if you don't crash or not. You know, you you're drink driving. So I'm trying. What I'm trying to do is is make sure that the product leads are making good decisions. And if I you know spotting these drink drivers, I'm not I'm not countermanding them or, or diving into the product and telling them what to do at a product level. I'm saying, yeah. right, are you the right person? Yeah. To lead this product. And if you're a drink driver, if you're not prepared, not doing the work, you know, getting all the information yourself, not involving stakeholders, you know, or not doing the right level of analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even, even if it turns out well, you still, you still made that decision with malicious intent. Or, or, so yeah, these are the people, yeah, luckily we've not been in that experience. Yeah. Nice. But, but, but I'm really trying to make sure that you know, the decisions I'm seeing, I understand that I'm trying to check for these, for these drink drivers um, because I, I need to have this sort of last safe, red button which could protect customers and protect the business you know on behalf of the customers and behalf of the investors um and if i do see dream drive they're going to wait right i'm not going to tell you that that specific thing was wrong but your decision making on a number of occasions has been wrong we either need to fix that or you know, we need to find something else um and that sort of final red button i think does make it clear to the product needs that you know, they can build whatever they want in whatever order they but they need to they need, they need to do it well, they need to do it to a high level of skill and quality, find the right problems. Because if they if they're drink driving, then I'm gonna catch them and you know, either try and help them to get better or, or, or remove them. So that's the sort of the, the barriers or control measures we've got in place. But yeah, that's that's quite tough. Uh, it's interesting. I've actually done it slightly differently. Uh, where I've had some of some of these uh, scenarios in the past and um the best way i've done it is actually through training uh mm. those those are the things where i had the highest impact because like if you had a drink driver where they're like completely off the road all the time then of course that 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 red button exists but a lot mm. of the time you actually find a gray people in these gray areas yeah. and the best thing to do over there is actually and this is what you know really fascinated me is like you know i asked some of these guys what's what's the dream job you want to get to do you want to you want to have i want to get to google or amazon like some of these major companies as a product person right so what does it need to do like have you got the interviewers uh let's get you in the interview book for that and mm-hmm. let me prepare you to get into amazon mm-hmm. uh, and okay so 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 where does that lead to they buy a book and some of the answers like the you know they probably argue with you about mm-hmm. either in the interview in the interview book or you know some whatever this is just an example i'm giving you yeah, yeah the same thing is repeated these a lot of these patterns are already they already exist they just need to learn 
their way and sometimes showing them that where you want to head, the same thing is required. <laughs> so you might want yeah. to do that anyway. Yeah. Uh, and I've actually like, I've done it once or twice and it worked really well, like showing, like just get going for what they really want at the eventually, mm-hmm. not just in the company or maybe, you know, something. And then really drawing a line between that to get that, you really mm-hmm. need to do this particular thing. You can't really duck it or you can't, yeah. like some people say, I can't do stakeholder management <laughs> and it's tough yeah. and you can't, you can't duck it. You need yeah. to learn the skill. You learn it the hard way. I'm going to, I'm here to make you learn and, you know, it's, it's a skill to be learned, but let's let's do it now. Let's not say that I don't like it and we need to change the whole ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I think, you know, going back to another framework, which is sort of a day to you should be a sort of team task individual. I think you're trying to help the team, you're trying to help achieve, the team achieve the task, and sometimes there's sort of a conflict there, and you're also trying to help individuals with respect to you know, be successful as well. And, you know, I love what you, uh, you finished because you know, it's not only about building stuff that's, Delightful ads revenue inside the copy. Yeah, that's the outcome, that's what customers really care about. It's also about you know, team, improving the team, building the team, but also helping the individuals. Yeah. Nobody's going to stay at any company um, if, if there's nowhere for them to grow and improve, you know, experience and opportunities and experience personal growth. I think for me, and I'm sure you as well, it's just sort of reinforces your leadership is about the individual as much as the team, as much as the vision. Yes. Sort of really. You know, trying to help people, as you said, you know, here's, here's where you are as an individual, here's where you'd like to get to, wherever it is. Yeah. And the good leaders, the good leaders I found don't care what it is. You know, it could be Google, it could be in your company, but yeah. I'll help you get there, as you said. But, but you know, here's, here's, you know, here's, we're at A, you want to get to D in two years, five years, you need to do B and C, let me help you with B and yeah. C. And then trying to tie that in the individual level with all your individuals then at the team level trying to get the team and then you know at, at the company level which is sort of where we operate trying to sort of you know, manage all of those interests the day-to-day practice but you know i love i like i love what we finished i think i think our time is up but i love what we finished i would love to have gone into the detail on, on helping individuals we talked a lot about vision we talked a lot about decision making and empowerment and I love the fact we've got to talk about individuals in, and I'd love to go on into that a bit more, but yeah. I think we've lost the time. That was amazing. Um, yeah, I learned a huge amount of that. I think it's, it's fantastic to sort of share your thinking and hear different ways, or even different ways of saying the same thing. Yeah. I think it's sort of where we agreed. So I'd like to hand over to, to Ryan. Yeah, thank you. I mean, do you guys have the next seven or eight hours free? Because we can just keep talking. Like, I, I, have, a, I have a feeling we could keep going. <laughs> like a... Uh, the problem is not that we have things to talk about this as a topic. Now, I had a fun time listening, but also trying to find the thread that was throughout the entire conversation. And so the thread that I've pulled, uh, I'm going to bring you through that process. So for people who maybe joined us halfway, uh, this might motivate you to look back and listen from the beginning. But we're talking really about the how can you empower your product leads at the end of the day? Because your product leads are the ones that are putting the call into the train, however big you, you build that train. But that means that you have to have the right person. And it's not just the right person in that position. It's the right person for the person who's above that position. And that's because leaders have to lead. Uh, I think you guys really rattled the cages that a leader is, an act, or is a passive role. It's very active. But my favorite turning point in the conversation was where we were put into this chance of we can only describe the value prop or the problem. And that was a really interesting discussion there. And I think that um, when you look at things, the collective answer seems to be that a problem-based 
um, motivation system can work, not only from the origins of the company, but for the specific job duties. And I want to make a potential change for all of you who are CEOs. I want you to replace the E with a P so that you are now CPOs, and that is the Chief Problem Officer. And what that's going to do is allow you, because we talked about empowerment today, but I want to make up a new word called improblement. Okay. Empowering your employees, your lead, your products, your managers, people in your company, empowering them with improblement, giving them the tools to communicate the problem, understanding what they do to solve a part of that problem, and then empowering by giving them the ability, the autonomy, the space, the, the funds, the resources to solve that problem. So I love that empowerment versus improblement. And sort of all this ties in together because scaling your product means that you're scaling the ability to solve the right problem at the right time with the right person for the right people and having the ability to adjust and change and adapt as that goes by listening at the same time. So I just sound like uh, I sound a little bit metaphysical here, but I really think that scaling product comes to solving problems with the right people and the right way, and then being able to reevaluate it. I love the horizon thing. Uh, come up with your horizon one goal, then come up with your horizon three goal, and then come up with horizon two in the middle. Uh, so it's I, I love the reverse engineering way that as engineers, you guys are talking about product development. So there you go. We have had a great discussion that literally it's going gonna, it's gonna to plague me for the rest of the day. I'm going to be looking for problems and seeing how this fits in. But if you want to find more amazing conversations like this, check out check out scaleupacademy.io. We house them all there. Tune in every Monday. And at the end of the day, remember that if you want to scale, it's about solving bigger and better problems with the right people and empowering them through improblement. Woo. All right. Uh, you guys, uh, I'm sure you're just going to continue the conversation there. Uh, if you are watching this on Facebook, make comments, reach out to these people, connect, because uh, it's all about connecting these dots. If you want to get to D, like Max said, and you're at A, well, right here, you're looking at B and C. So connect and reach out to these people. Uh, make sure you get where you're going. And happy Martin Luther King Day for everybody out there. Uh, take a moment to think of special people who've made massive impacts to try to solve real world problems, whether it's with tech or whether it's with their words, to make sure that the world is a better place. So with that being said, uh, you guys enjoy London. Hopefully I'll see you there soon sometime. And everybody else, enjoy your day. Signing out. Say bye, guys. Bye. <laughs>